We're going to have our reading now, and um, Terry's going to come and read that for us. Thank you, Terry. from Acts chapter 16 and that's page 1111 all the ones in the church bible and it's Acts chapter 16 verse 11 the early church in their missionary work these are some of the events that happened during that work at the beginning soon after the death of the Lord Jesus Christ From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Thamesrae, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gates to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned round and said to the spirits, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. 
the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped but Paul shouted don't harm yourself we are all here the jailer called for lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas he then brought them out and asked sirs what must I do to be saved they replied believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house at that hour of the night the jailer took them and washed their wounds then immediately he and all his family were baptised the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God he and his whole family thanks Terry well last Sunday evening we enjoyed listening to um, Andre de Villiers if you were here last Sunday um, who gave his story through, um, through his songs um, and it wasn't just the music that we enjoyed but uh, the power of his testimony uh, the fact that God had changed his life at the age of 30 when he was a successful uh, rock musician in the band and he used a, a 20 year old young Christian who actually himself said he had wanted to corrupt but that this young guy eventually ended up changing his life and uh, he said he was struck by the sort of peace that this guy had and this evening heard just another amazing testimony as well from Ollie about how God has changed his life through the power of his grace well, we're starting a series in the evening um, on lives changed by Christ, which is what the initials of our church stand for in some ways. Um, and um, it's really what we're about as a church, isn't it? We want to see lives changed by Christ. We are here because our lives have been changed by Christ. And we're starting this evening with a, a passage in Acts, which um, Terry just read for us, which looks at three very different people. But before we get to those people, how is it that Paul and his companions happened to be in this place in the first place. Well, they didn't happen to be there at all. If you look at um, back to verse 6 of chapter 16, uh, we see there that Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. We've got a map of them coming up, in case you are somebody likes to see these things, um, I certainly do as well. You can see Galatia there, you can see um, Bithynia um, and Asia. So you can see the line going through the middle. You can't go into Bithynia and Asia, the Holy Spirit is preventing them, so they head towards um, Troas. And um, what happens there? Well, that's where Paul has a vision uh, of a man from Macedonia, on the other side of the water, begging him to come over and to help them. And after Paul's seen the vision, then they get ready, it says in verse 10, and set out at once to leave the Macedonia, concluding that God has called us, it says, to preach the gospel to them. So always here we've got two doors shut by God, and we've got a door widely opened by God, calling them to go and preach the gospel. Now, doesn't say here where in Macedonia they should go, but they're probably using their common sense a bit. They head towards the, uh, the leading city in Macedonia, which, uh, which is Philippi. But so what is clear is that Paul and his companions don't arrive here by chance. They've been, they arrive here because the Spirit has led them to 
to this place and I haven't got there what do I do next how does God use them in this place and that's why we have these three stories of lives changed by Christ and you may think that they're completely random stories but I think as um, Tim Keller points out they are probably here for a reason if you know the uh, one of the common prayers that a Jewish man used to um, have prayed um, something like Paul for example this is uh, the sort of prayer that they would pray at that time uh, blessed are you Hashem uh, another name for, for God King of the Universe that you did not make me a Gentile blessed are you Hashem King of the Universe that you did not make me a slave blessed are you Hashem King of the Universe that you did not make me a woman um, women at that time having a very different um, uh, status in society than they do today. So what do we have in this story? Well we have three conversions, we have a woman, a slave and a Gentile. And what they have therefore in common is that from a Jewish point of view they're all outsiders, they're all outside the Jewish nation. They don't have much else in common, they actually have very different social backgrounds, um, they're also very different in terms of where they are spiritually, and so the means through which God uses Paul to bring them to faith is different in each case. So I hope this evening there's a lot for us to learn because um, what we see is not just God's grace to work, but also in terms of how we can reach out to different people in different situations. We're going to look at first uh, to Lydia then, the first uh, uh, convert here in Philippi. What do we know about her? Well she's uh, one of a group of women uh, gathered outside the city gate um, by the river to pray on the Sabbath. So that's when she's outside the city gate again, she's a bit of an outsider. But what do we know about her? Well, we know that here that um, she's a businesswoman. And by the looks of it, in selling purple cloth, which was an expensive dye, she is a successful businesswoman. Um, this is not just a Primark, this is more your Vista Village here we're talking about. <laughs> And later on we find out she has a large home, um, she's invited everybody back to it, so she's clearly a woman of means. But what about spiritually? Well, we're told again that she's a worshipper <coughs> of God, she prayed to God. She may have read the, the Hebrew Bible. Um, she went to a place where there were others who, who did the same. Uh, there was no synagogue evidently in the, in the city, um, so they found an alternative place to worship. Uh, so she was like behaving like a Jew without actually having become one. So in today's society, Lydia is the sort of person who is a very moral and upright and very spiritual person um, who may come to church, but um, who's yet to understand the gospel of grace. She's left, yet to be born again. So how does the gospel come to Lydia? Well, it says here, Paul and the others began to speak. Now, what would they have said? Well, it may have been something similar to um, Philip and the Ethiopian in, in Acts 9 where he, he asked him what he was reading. Um, could he help explain what it was all about? Did he understand it? And he gave them the explanation of what he was reading, how it pointed to Jesus Christ. Maybe he did like Stephen in his sermon. He, he went through the history of the people of Israel and uh, again showing how it pointed to the Messiah who had come in Jesus Christ. Either way, what he would have done, he would have pointed them to Jesus, the Son of God, uh, the one who's come to bring salvation. 
and explained that by trusting, by believing in him, they could have eternal life. But what happened after Paul had spoken? But what happens is, it says there in verse 14, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's message. Paul planted a seed and God made it grow. We can't do anything without God. But God uses us to achieve his purposes. Lydia was someone who was already spiritually open, but who hadn't yet understood the gospel and the Lord opened her eyes and gave her that understanding that she needed and she accepted the, the existence of God she worshipped God but up to that point she didn't have that personal relationship that Oliver was talking about earlier on it was a relationship for her at that time based on, on duty on, on saying her prayers and on being a, a moral person what changed was the realisation that she didn't need to, to worry about whether she'd done her religious duty enough, whether she'd said enough prayers, whether she'd been moral enough, whether that's enough to save her. That burden of, of guilt, not knowing whether she'd atoned for all the things she'd done in her life, that would have been a, a heavy burden for her. But Jesus says, and probably um, Paul would have explained it to her, Jesus says to us, come to me all you who are weary of burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Lydia has changed. She's accepted the gospel of grace. She's baptized. And the first thing she does is use uh, what God has given her to help others. She, she invites them back to, to her home. Who are, the, who are the Lydia's though that we know? Just think for a moment. Who are the people we know who maybe have an interest in Christianity? Uh, maybe they, they've come to an evangelistic event. Very nice people. Maybe successful career people. But those people haven't maybe just yet quite understood the gospel. Maybe some are very young people. They've heard the gospel. They've been taught, but it hasn't yet changed them. How are we going to get alongside them? How are we going to fit the missing pieces into their picture of God? <coughs> into their understanding of the Gospel? So one thing we could do is, um, uh, again what we were talking about, that one-to-one stuff, reading the Bible with somebody, allowing God through that reading to, to open their eyes to, to see Him. Maybe inviting those that we meet at, um, at Contact, or, or Toy Box, or Spectrum. Um, inviting them out to have a cup of coffee or a beer, whatever's your thing, whatever's natural for you, just finding out where they're at just moving further towards Christ and praying that God will open their hearts that's Lydia, the story of Lydia what about a slave girl, because she's very different isn't she from from Lydia she also earns a lot of money but um, it's not for her goes straight to her own and uh, maybe a a legal activity but it's not quite like Lydia's sort of honest trade is it um, probably a bit like what people would think of fortune telling today maybe maybe what people think of the, uh, the gambling industry it's sort of legal but um, uh, you know it's not really highly thought of is it? I must admit, every time I see these commercials during football breaks um, 
it does uh, make me cringe. Uh, seeing Ray Winston and his um, who ate all the pie guy, it's um, it's um, it's one of those um, businesses that somebody's in, but it's not quite an acceptable one. She's in a dodgy profession, but she's poor. She's been exploited here. She has human masters who are um, telling her what to do, and the money's going back to them. She's oppressed economically. She's also demon-possessed. She's oppressed spiritually. She has human masters. She has spiritual masters. Now, if you think of her in today's society, what would she be like? What sort of a person would be the slave girl we're looking at here? It may be your, your teenage prostitute. Somebody controlled by him. Uh, maybe also controlled by drugs. Spiritually, she's in a dark place. She's calling on evil spirits to tell the future. She's enslaved by them. But she's also spiritually aware. You know, she knows who Paul and his companions are. She knows who Jesus is. If you remember when Jesus um, went around in his ministry, evil spirits recognised Jesus. They said to him, you are the son of God. And Jesus said to them, quiet. Don't tell anybody who I am at that stage in his ministry. And what is going on here is something similar. The slave girl goes around uh, following Paul and the others, shouting after them, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. That's probably the demons who are making us shout this out. And it's not being done in a very helpful way. It's not that, you know, these guys have got a great message of salvation. You know, listen to what they've got to say. It's not that sort of thing. It's, it's trying to cause trouble. It's trying to get them arrested. So if Lydia needs understanding, what does this slave girl need? Well, she needs freedom, doesn't she? And there are different types of freedom that she needs. She needs economic freedom, she needs social freedom, but she also needs spiritual freedom from her, from her possession. Now, you're not going to be able to sit down with a slave girl like Paul did with Lydia and the other women and take her through the Gospel rationally. You're not going to be able to invite her to a Christian explore course. So let's be freed requires a supernatural act. Now of course every conversion at one level requires a supernatural act. It's an act of God the Spirit. But this is a sudden conversion which depends on Paul commanding the Spirit to come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. But at that moment she's freed spiritually. And she's also freed economically. So now the, the, uh, the guys uh, who own their seed actually are not going to earn any money out of her any moment, so she's of no use to them anymore. So she's freed in two ways. She's freed to choose to live her life her way, which we presume now means, although it doesn't say specifically, following Jesus, becoming part of the new church in Philippi. So what did it take for Paul to convert her? I think a couple of things here. I think the first thing is for Paul to become troubled. Um, have a look at that in verse um, uh, 18. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Christ, come out. Now, the, the new NIV um, and other translations translate that annoyed. But how do you translate that? I don't think Paul is annoyed with the slave girl. He, he's annoyed with the demons who are possessing her. And it's, and it's not just that it's frustrating what they're trying to do, but that they are ruining this girl's life. 
and he's commanding the demon to come out of her. He's not just sorting out a situation, he's showing compassion for this girl. He's troubled, he's grieved, as some of the old translations would have it. But secondly, what also it takes is for Paul to be prepared to suffer for her conversion. Paul, I'm sure, is aware that releasing the slave girl, he'll be making trouble for himself. And maybe that was why he was a little slow in doing it. You know, the girl's been doing this for several days. Maybe he didn't have courage to face the consequences. But finally he does. And when the slave girl's masters see what the, what's happened, that they've lost this great source of income, they take it out from Paul and Silas. They drag them into the marketplace, they, they put them before the authorities, they were arrested, they were stripped, they were beaten, they were thrown into prison. Again, who are the slave girls today? It could be those we've mentioned already, it could be prostitutes, drug addicts, it could be abused women. But it's more than that, I think. It's those with any type of social need, those who are enslaved by something or someone. Maybe drugs, it may be abuse, it may be criminal behaviour. Again, maybe financial desperation, again, caused by different things. Basically, those who are friendless. Ray Evans brings out very well in his book, Ready, Steady, Grow. Ray Evans has um, the uh, pastor at uh, Bedford, where um, Mark, uh, uh, Mark was before he's coming here and he's going to come and preach at uh, Mark's induction. Um, what he makes clear in his book is that um, the focus of many churches today on friendship evangelism is a good thing. Um, it's a great thing, but, but what about those who don't have friends? You know, who reaches them? Uh, these are not people who are going to be prepared to just say to listen to the gospel message for the first time. Now those who will be one round as we show them love, as we show them compassion, concern for their particular needs. And if we're going to reach those people, we need to go to where they are. Paul and Silas met the saved girl because they were out there in the public square. They were sharing the gospel. And I think we need to know who the needy are in our different communities as well. But secondly, we need to have compassion for them to the extent of being prepared to suffer. That may not mean that um, we're beaten or put in prison, but it may mean a sacrifice of time and energy and money. Uh, it may mean seeing people show great interest to start with, but then just throwing it in again and going back to their previous way of life. It can be a very frustrating thing. But then Jesus knew that in dying for the world there would be those who would reject him, to those for whom he would die and his death would mean nothing. I do think this is an area where we need to work together more closely as a church and uh, starting a ministry of mercy, as Tim Keller calls it, where we will come into contact with the needy and we can show them the compassion of Christ and in time show them the gospel. And it may be the, the elderly shut-ins, it, it may be the disabled, it may be those in prison. Um, let's pray that the Lord would show us where we can get involved. Well, the third character whose life is changed is a Roman jailer. Let's have a look at what happens here. Paul and Silas have been brought before the magistrates. The uh, charge raised against them in verse 20 is that of throwing the city into an uproar. 
by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. You could say an ASBO, an antisocial behaviour order. Now, it doesn't sound like they go much of a fair trial. Um, the crowd join in, the sentence is passed pretty quickly, they're stripped and they're beaten. That is severely flogged, they're thrown into prison. And it's at that point that the jailer enters the scene. <coughs> he's given orders, he's carefully, um, which is exactly what he does. Uh, he doesn't question the orders, he just follows them. And so he puts them in the, the inner cell, the secure cell, uh, he passes them to their feet and socks to increase the pain that they've already experienced. Here's in many ways your typical prison warden. Here's your Mr. Mackay <coughs> from Porridge, if you can remember days of Porridge. They've been a Roman soldier um, and he's now retired from that active service. So what are his values? What is it that drives this uh, jailer? Well, he's basically doing his job, doing it well, making sure that nobody escapes. But in this incident, the worst thing possible happens. There's an earthquake, it rocks the prison, and leaves the doors wide open for the prisoners to walk out. Something that happened not very long ago in, the, in Haiti. Remember the earthquake in Haiti? Where 4,000 prisoners just walked out. They said, great, we're off. Um, not putting out these conditions any longer. So when the jailer wakes up, naturally he's going to think the prisoners will all have gone. Why wouldn't they have done? And his reaction is to, to do the right thing, the honourable thing. Um, because that is what matters for a soldier. And so he draws his sword and he's about to kill himself rather than suffer the shame, the humiliation of being found responsible for a mass prison break. What about his spirituality? Well, there isn't really any here, is there? Not that we see about it. He seems to be just a complete agnostic. He's um, indifferent to anything. Um, Paul and Silas have been preaching the gospel. They've been they've been put in chains or they believe and there's no sense of yeah, what was that all about no he just follows his orders and if Paul and Silas would have said to him can we tell you about Jesus Christ he would probably have told them where to get off how do you get through to somebody like the jailer well let's have a look at what happens now, it's important to note here what happened before the earthquake if it hadn't been the flogs put in shock, you'd have thought that Paul and Silas would um, either be exhausted, be crying out in pain, but what do they do? <coughs> so the first 25, at midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God. Why would anybody do that? That's not the sort of thing that you do when you've just been flogged and put in chains. And the other prisoners are probably thinking, what on earth are they doing? Um, Maybe they didn't put in there justly, but they are probably thinking, Paul and Silas, they shouldn't be in here. What are they doing? So the doors burst open, Paul and Silas remain where they are, and it's almost as though the other prisoners were just transfixed and thinking, well, we'll stay here too. I <laughs> say so the jailer draws his sword to kill himself, and Paul shouts out, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer can't believe it, can he? calls for light, uh, he rushes in, falls trembling before Paul and Silas, and thinks, what on earth has happened? This is something incredible. You don't remain in the prison when you've been treated in this way, when you've got a chance to escape. 
And so he brings them out and his immediate question is, Sirs, verse 30, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? How can I get what you've got? That's what I need. Now notice he's asking a difficult question, what must I do to be saved? You know, surely my salvation is that something I need to do. But the answer that comes back is just as amazing as the fact that they're still there in the first place. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Just believe in him. It's not about what you should do. It's been done for you. Trust in Jesus for your salvation. Believe that he really is the Son of God. That the reason he died was to take the punishment that you deserve. That he's made you right with God. Believe and become one of his followers as well. And it's now, as we're told, that um, Paul speaks the word of the Lord to the jailer. And all the others in the house uh, listen as well, because he's earned the right to be listened through his behaviour. Through his actions, he saved the life of the jailer. He didn't need to do that. The jailer has certainly not done anything for him. And yet he chose to remain for his sake. And of course, it's not just about believing here, it's about repenting turning to Jesus, living your life his way. And it's just to demonstrate that, the jailer, what does he do? He takes Paul inside and he washes their wounds. It's almost a symbolic act, isn't it? It's a changing of his way. And then he and his family are baptised. And he invites them into his house, there's something to eat. They're now brothers of the same family. How has the life of the jailer changed? Well, it says there, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. Life was carrying on as normal until these two strangers arrived and now it will never be the same again. Now in many ways, Shalit is the hardest person to reach, isn't he? Because he has no spiritual interest. And therefore, if we think of the, the jailer types today, how do we reach the jailers who are just carrying on living their life, no spiritual interest, not particularly atheistic or anything like that, but just not interested in talking about it. But the way we reach them is the way that Paul and Silas did through our behaviour, but that doesn't mean that our behaviour needs to be so distinctive that it attracts somebody that, that makes people stand up and notice. What are the situations in which we can do that? Well, um, one of those is how we respond to suffering, isn't it? And many in this church have had the, the opportunity to do that. They may not have wanted or chose that, that opportunity, but it's been given to them by God and shouldn't be ignored. The title of a book by John Piper, who himself was then diagnosed with, with cancer. When he, he was, he wrote a book saying, Don't waste your cancer. It's not just illness and that sort of suffering, it's all sorts of unjust treatment where we have an opportunity to respond in a different way than the world responds. How do we show love to our enemies? Well, those just don't really like us. Maybe simply because we are Christians, they don't like us. Don't bear grudges. Forgive them, treat them in the way you would like to be treated yourself. Paul and his companions didn't choose a type of evangelism or a certain type of people to evangelise too. They, they arrived in Philippi ready to share the gospel. And the Lord put in their path three different people. Lydia, the slave girl, 
and a jailer. And as we're ready to share the gospel, he will do that for us too, if we pray for those opportunities. And the big question is, are we looking to share the gospel? Because as he gives us those opportunities, we need to pray that he will enable us to reach out in the way that those people need to be reached. We're going to have just a moment of quiet uh, now and um, <coughs> just um, pray through some of the things we've been talking about. The group, um, then in a few moments, will lead us in um, another song and then we'll have a moment, if anybody wants to share anything, maybe the Lord has spoken to you in a particular way this evening, or just you want to share something else about how he's touched and changed your life um, recently, then feel free, you'll have an opportunity to do that. First of all, just a moment of quiet and uh, just speak with the Lord. <laughs> Share the words of the grace of each other. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with.